Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Cruel Summer, our look back at the G1 Climax Tournament Finals from uh, 1991 to 2018. And this is episode six, so we're going to be covering 1996, featuring Masahiro Chono versus Ricky Choshu. And uh, joining me today as my co-host uh, on this episode is... Uh, the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, uh, one of the, the best podcasts about Japanese wrestling out there, the Eastern Lariat, which you can hear on the MLW Radio Network. Uh, all the way from Germany, joining me today is Striga. Striga, how are you today? Oh wow, too too many too many nice words here right right now. Uh, thank you for the compliment, and I I'm, I really appreciate that you really like our show and you always are so excited for for when a new episode is out and listening to it. So thank you for that. Um, I always enjoy your podcast as well. With you do uh, once every month with um, with John the Post Razor Show. So yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. I, I'm I'm good. I just uh, returned home uh, f- from work, so it's Friday weekend. What better to do than record a podcast about Japanese pro wrestling? Exactly, and we're going to be. Whereas you and Dylan usually talk about current happenings, we're going to go back into the past to 1996 for this particular episode. Uh, you know, I was I was just saying off air with you that uh, I was listening to the latest episode where you're talking about the, the New Japan Cup. And I have to tell you, like, there are points when I'm listening to the podcast that I just want to, like, whip out my phone and just send either you or Dylan a, a private message and just say, I I agree with exactly with what you just said there, <laughs> or you're so fucking wrong about that. <laughs> I will say this particular episode, and this might make Dylan kind of, like, angry or make him laugh. I'm probably the latter, but, like, mm-hmm. more, more, more so I was like, uh, Dylan, I disagree with you on mm-hmm. this point or this point. And, uh, okay, Strig, I agree with Strig on this. And, yeah. you know, it, it was a really good episode uh, so you. far. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I finished the entirety of the uh, New Japan Cup yeah. talk you guys had. Yeah, there's only a little bit more on that show. I was kind of... Uh... I had a busy day. I w- went out that night, so we only had time to talk about a New Japan Cup. But usually on the Eastern Lariat, we also shed a light on different uh, Japanese promotions other than New Japan, like NOAA, All Japan, sometimes Zero One, Wrestle One, all the groups that are rarely talked about in, uh, well, bigger podcasts about Japanese wrestling. I don't know about that. I think Eastern Lariat is one of the, the biggest, in my estimation. I hope so. Um, <laughs> what I like about your show is that like you do cover like a such a wide breadth. Like I try to cover everything, but I don't have the time to watch everything. Uh, you guys, I mean, like Dylan, just Dylan alone, like he'll watch a lot of Joshi. So I get yeah. to hear about Wave and and Seedlining and and Ice Ribbon and and all the really great stuff that makes me excited to want to check out more wrestling. And then you do you guys do talk about like Zero One and and Russell One. So it's always cool for me to listen. And and you'll talk about guys like who is that? I gotta go back and look these guys up and and look for for these promotions and then try to find the the, the footage and stuff online and stuff like that but it it is a great podcast i don't think you should undersell yourself or the or the eastern lariat i think it is the biggest and best podcast about japanese wrestling and that is that's including my my own false modesty prevents me from like putting myself on the same level as you and dylan yeah you know i i I wouldn't i wouldn't do that either so I'll, i'll let you do that okay uh let me let's get people to know about you. Uh, get some information about Striga. Uh, you are not only the, the the co-host of the Eastern Lariat, but you're involved with like several 
very useful websites out there. In particular, one of my favorite, uh, most well-used websites, and that's uh, Cage Match. Yeah, so um, I got into writing about pro wrestling like in 2002, 2003, around that time when I was still going to school. I was like 14, 15 years old. And um, at that point, I was working for a different website, a different German website by the name of Slam Wrestling back then. That, that, that website doesn't exist anymore. And I moved on to Cage Match in 2004. And in 2004, Cage Match ha- wasn't what it is today. We didn't have a database like we have now. And that was introduced in, I think, 2006 was when the database started. And ever since then, we collected data from all around the world from different um, uh, zones of wrestling, from different regions of wrestling and now we started to get uh, more international as we've added some um, British and some international uh, um, uh, guys working for us as well, so it's it's getting more international, and uh, we really um, are hoping to to spread out more and to get more people involved to to cover more bases because there's still some some loopholes in our database. Like for example, when you when you look at Big Japan or DDT, for DDT the early stages, the late '90s are missing. For DDT, for, for Big Japan, the early to, early 2000s are missing. But when you look up a wrestler like Ricky Choshu or the G1 Climax 1996, you'll get a good idea of what was happening back then. And when you you add some information like we are going to do here, you'll you'll uh, you can use these this, this information this information very usefully to yeah to structure a podcast around it. It's it's what I you usually use to structure my podcast. It's uh, yeah. It uh, helps me. I don't have to take any notes, so that's sketch match. <laughs> I uh, I do a lot of my research for this particular series based off what I find on Cage Match. Um, I will say, like, I think it's amazing, like, a lot of other podcasts uh, will reference, like, the ratings you give on mm. uh, on on Cage Match along along with, like, say, you know, Dave Meltzer's five-star you know, five rating system. And I guess recently the, the Grapple app, a lot of people are referencing those things now. Yeah. So it's, it's quite amazing, I think, like, to be included in the same breadth as far as, like, what, what did the Cage Match inmates you know, rate this match. Oh, like let's compare that to what you know Dave did uh, in the Observer about a particular match. So I, you gotta, I gotta throw my hats off to you for getting to cage match like rating system to a certain level, like where people are talking about in the same breath as the Wrestling Observer ratings. Yeah, it's 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 really funny to see how people really compare those ratings, and in in a lot of cases those ratings are actually pr- pretty similar if you if you'd uh, do the math on a like four and a half star rating that Dave Metzler gives usually is but is um, a like an 8.8 rating with us or a 9 rating with us it's it's in very in in uh, some cases very similar so that's uh, that's very interesting actually Yes, one of my ambitions is to get my sandwich ratings to that level, but <laughs> it's a work in progress, Drega. Uh, just and just quickly before we get into G1 Climax itself, um, I want to know, what got you started as a fan of wrestling in general, and more specifically into Japanese wrestling? So, I became a fan, a WCW fan. I became in like 97, 98, around the time. I can't re- quite remember what my first show was. 
but I started watching WCW Nitro back then. We had a trifecta of shows actually in Germany. We had WCW Thunder, we had WCW Nitro. Those were on Friday and on Saturday. And on the Thursday, we had a show called Fan Power, where you could vote for matches from the history of WCW. They would uh, give a list of 10 matches, and they would show the top two or top three matches that were voted every week. And so by that, I was introduced to some older wrestling, and I saw some matches from, from the early WCW stages, like Brian Pillman and Yushin Liger too. But that didn't really get me involved in... in or. Um, I didn't get me into Japanese wrestling because WCW ended in 2001 and then I kind of had to find something new and WWF at that point wasn't on television in, in Germany. So I checked the internet that I had just gotten the year before and uh, searched something and found uh, CCW back then. And uh, I was watching CCW back then from then and um, CCW had a working relationship with Big Japan in the early 2000s. So my first Japanese pro wrestling show was a, WC, uh, a CCW versus Big Japan show. And from there on, I yeah, I didn't really get into that show because the show wasn't very good. And then like for a half a year, I didn't watch anything from Japan. And then something, something came up because I was following the career of Steve Carino after ECW. I, I liked that guy very much. And so I saw that Steve Carino was working in Japan for a company named Zero One. And I think the Zero One Fire Festival in 2002 was my first mm, introduction to to the what you would call the, the real Japanese pro wrestling, aside from the garbage that CCW versus Big Japan was back then. <laughs> It's amazing. Like a lot of people cite like Steve Carino as kind of a gateway, yeah. you know, performer to like their fandom into wrestling. I knew a lot of, um, you know, like uh, independent wrestlers in Toronto that you know, I'd ask them, Who, who's your favorite wrestler? And like if I asked 10 of them, like at least six to seven of them would say Steve Carino. And I'm just blown away because <laughs> not not to discount Steve Carino. I, I can appreciate him. I was never a huge fan of Steve Carino, but I can appreciate what he represented and he he was a big gateway like people would follow him from the tail end of his ecw career yeah and then he joined shin hashimoto's zero one promotion and then he i think he and he was like think also like one of those guys in the office who bring foreign talent over there. so we this is where we get to see like uh sylvester turkey the predator <sighs> right we get to see i guess like people like sanjay dutt alex shelley got their first start in japan brian kendrick got their first start Low key. in zero one low-key yeah AJ Styles, mm. so many people. And then from Zero One, where did you branch out to? So the other string that people follow is, or at that point in time, was the Lucha, Lucha Reso part of Japanese wrestling, introduced to Japan by the Grand, Grand Hamada, and brought to a modern style by guys like the great Sasuke or Ultimo Dragon and the Toriyomon promotion. And the Torium promotions like Torium X and Torium um, or the T2000 project. Um, that's a, another string that a lot, lot of people um, cite for their introduction to Japanese wrestling. And I followed a little bit later and I started watching Dragon Gate in early 2005 then. I, I had watched some New Japan in 2004 and of course Noah 
in 2003, that's where I got introduced to Noah through the Kobashi Misawa match from March 2003. But really, from the point on that I got into Dragon Gate, I started to get into into Japanese wrestling more and more. And uh, yeah, here we are in 2019. Yeah, my my own like introduction was primarily through like uh, New Japan Juniors. I, I like the heavyweights, but always like people like Liger and Kanemoto and Otani, El Samurai, Takaiwa, and then like you had like Wild Pegasus and uh, Eddie Guerrero's Black Tiger character, and then you know Chris Jericho would appear there, and I was like just enamored with that. And then from there, I would move on to like the All Japan heavyweights, yeah. and, like Kobashi, Misawa, Kawada, Tawe, uh, Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, Stan Hansen, all those people. And, and then, and you know, like, and this is like early two thousands and here I am like almost <laughs> 20 years later. And I'm talking about it with, with you, uh, a, a fellow fan who lives in Germany and I'm a Canadian living in Japan. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Like the, 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 the way the internet works and how like, fandom wrestling fandom can just like encompass like tons of boundaries and borders but let, let's get to our topic today which is the 1996 g1 climax uh which was held from august 2nd to august 6th and i used cage match to determine like where all these matches were like all the shows <laughs> and they all emanated from uh ryogoku kokukikan aka sumo hall which i i was not aware that most of these i guess the early stages of the tournament's history were centered just primarily in sumo hall because they didn't really run that long they're usually about five four to five days in total yeah that's it's really interesting to see and i think they sold out all of these shows like we always have like like between 10,500 and 11,000 people is always what we have listed here on cage match and the interesting part about this tournament is that they were not only holding the G1 climax during this week but they were also holding the tournament for the J crown on uh, on in during this week while the G1 climax was was going on and they had they had some support for the tournament matches as well like the matches, the match I was I'm looking at here right now is Dan Severn against Yoshiaki Fujiwara, completely different from the J Crown tournament and completely different from the G1 Climax I would expect. So um, yeah, I, I was I was uh, searching for some of the matches from this tournament and uh, sadly I could only find the finals. Yeah, I, I don't think New Japan has put all the all the tournament matches from uh, all the tournaments up there. Like they, I know they made a point of putting all the the finals up there i guess over time that they're gonna slowly but surely try to get all the um, rest of the tournament matches you were looking for something in particular yeah. on on twitter and i was like you, you scared me because i thought oh my god no what the, the finals are up there you were talking about uh, a match with chono and Kishimoto, i believe yeah exactly i was searching for the, for that match and there was a final in 95 right that was the final, and uh, yeah, that which we'll talk, which we talk about in in episode five. Uh, yeah, but you you were looking for a match that happened during this particular 1996 yeah, uh, was, round robin. Exactly, I was I was searching for Chono and Muto because it was rated with five star uh, four stars from Dave Meltzer. In contrast to that, the match that we were we are talking about is only rated three and one quarter. Hmm. Well, I mean, we'll talk about maybe why that might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this particular uh, t- 
tournament uh, in 1996. It was a round-robin league with two blocks of five wrestlers. And all, like I said, all the shows were held at Sumo Hall, which is a big contrast to like the way that G1 is structured now. It's a month, about a month-long tournament. Yeah. I, and it's I just two blocks it, of like looked it 10. up, actually. Um, excuse me for interrupting you, but I just looked it up the because you were talking about Sumo Hall. All the other tournament matches up to that point happened in Sumo Hall. Um, only the first show of the first G1 Climax was in the Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. All other shows were in Sumo Hall. Yeah, so I think, you know, Sumo Hall has become, like, synonymous with the G1 Climax. Uh, up until recently, now they, they don't even do the finals. Starting from last year, they, they moved to Budokan Hall. Uh, much to my relief, I, I do not enjoy being in Sumo Hall in the summer. It's why the name of the show is called Cruel Summer, because <laughs> it feels very cruel to be watching a wrestling show in the middle of August <laughs> at Sumo Hall, which has some of the worst air conditioning I've ever experienced in my life, in, in, you know, in any country. You know, Japan is just unbelievably hot and humid in, in the summer. But um, let's talk about the, the block. So in A block, we have Riki Choshu, uh, his protege, Hinsuke Sasaki, uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan. Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Junji Harata, who's also more famously known as Super Strong Machine. And a uh, bit of a note about Harata. He suffered an injury during his match with Kensuke Sasaki, mm. which caused him to forfeit his remaining matches. Did he? I can't recall if he only had one match yep. with Sasaki, and that was it. Yeah, he only had this first match. Then he was out injured. First match ended by referee stop, so I guess he got injured there, and the match was uh, thrown out. I mean, not that he was going to go to the finals, let's no. be honest. But uh, moving over to B block, we have uh, Masahiro Chono, uh, Shiro Koshinaka, Keiji Mudo, Kazuo Yamazaki, and Satoshi Kojima. Uh, at this point, Shiga, I want to ask you to uh, play a little game called The Age Game. Uh, <laughs> at this point, in 1996, uh, August of 1996, how old do you think Riki Choshu is? Riki Choshu. <sighs> I haven't looked that up actually, so um, he's. I think he's late thirties. Uh, he's a little older than that. Okay. He is forty-four years old at okay. this point. Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, he's, 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 he's like moving to his seventies, right? Right now, I think he's sixty-eight, yeah. sixty-nine years old. Uh, yeah, right. It's incredible, and he's still wrestling. <laughs> well, well, he's doing matches. He well, yeah, well he's. Still hitting people with the regularity. Yeah. That's that's all that people want to see, anyways. Exactly. Uh, how old do you think Masahiro Chono is? At that point, mm. Mm, mid thirties. Close. He's thirty-two years old. Mm. Uh, he has one of those faces that, like, you can't really tell what age he is. He kind of looks the same in two thousand nineteen yeah. as he does in nineteen ninety-six. So I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, you know, if. <laughs> He, at 32, he looks like he's like in his close to his 50s, or at 50, close to his 50s, he looks like he's in his 30s. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he'll want to spin it the latter way and like, oh yeah, no, I'm still in my 30s, even though I'm close to 50 now, or even maybe past 50, the age of 50. Um, let's talk about uh, each man's path to the finals uh, in the the league matches. Choshu beat uh, Hashimoto, Tenzan, Harada by forfeit, and. Uh, Sasaki, so he basically ran the, his entire block. That's very interesting because in the first G1 Climax they had, 
This tournament in 1991 was designed to put over the three guys, the three muskete musketeers, Chono, Muto, and Hashimoto. And at that point, it was a big sensation. The big star, Riki Choshu, lost all of his matches in the G1 Climax. And here in 1996, it was a complete opposite. And he won all of his matches. He won all of his matches. Uh, and then uh, in B-Block, Chono beat Kojima, Yamazaki, and Muto uh, in a match that you're trying to search for. <laughs> and his only loss came to came from uh, Shiro Koshinaka. So he had a less... Uh, it was interesting that he lost to Koshinaka mm -hmm. as opposed to like Muto. Or uh, I guess Muto would be the biggest star in that block at that time. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh... Kojima, at that point, he had just returned from his excursion in Germany. I think this was his first G1 Climax, if I'm not mistaken. And look that up, of course, in Cage Match. He was very fresh in back in New Japan and uh, lost all of his matches, of course, here. No, he, he won his uh, last match against Koshinaka, the guy who beat Shoshu. Well, there you go. That's I, this is before he forms his tag team with uh, Nakanishi, the Bull Powers. Maybe, uh, maybe. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure about the time frame here. Um, yeah. Tournaments. But um, it's okay. We're we're not, we're not really here to talk about Kojima. Yeah, it was his first uh, G1 climax. Yeah, it was his first G1 climax. Was it Tenzan's first one? Oh, uh, I would have to would have to look that up. You can, you can look that up as well. Um, Hiroyoshi Tenzan tournaments. He was no, he was in the 1995 G1 Climax. Okay, so you can draw a lot of parallels between yeah. Tenzan and Kojima throughout their entire careers together, and and in part and in, in separately, like when Kojima went to All Japan is and he you know rose to the main event scene, became Triple Crown champion there. Like Tenzan paralleled that in you know winning the G1 Climax, breaking away from Chono, and becoming a main event player by becoming IWGP champion. Uh, you know, so like, and even now, like you can kind of draw parallels to them in 2019. But let, let's go to the match: uh, Masahiro Chono versus Riki Choshu in Sumo Hall. Um, I can't recall the timeline very clearly, um, but in the matches I reviewed before with Chono in the finals, he was still wearing his kind of like you know white gear with different color trim, purple and green. He was still doing like the Luthez kind of disciple gimmick, uh, more of a pure wrestler. But now in this particular uh, finals, he's donned his all-black gimmick, what I like to call his leather fetish uh, gimmick that <laughs> I think maybe he got because his wife is is German, and I think he spent time there. And, like, he kind of had this like image change from like being kind of a pure wrestler to this kind of Yakuza character, like a lot of people like to say. I be didn't, didn't that... No, it can't be because of the NWO, because the NWO only started back then. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know how that came about with Chono. I'm not really an expert for the 90s New Japan. Um, maybe at that point in time, they st they already started um, branching out for their uh, Aristrist uh, um, um, label. Not sure there. Yeah, and this is at the point where he, he had formed his own group with uh, Saito and uh, Tenzan as his kind of like uh, his like his protégés, yeah. particularly Tenzan, because him and Tenzan would go on to win multiple IWGP tag team titles. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, 
in this match, I, I thought it was very interesting to see how beloved Joshi was by the crowd. And a huge part of that, well, he, he, he was very popular to begin with, but a huge part of that was that he, before the tournament started, announced that this would be his last G1 Climax. And he had never won a G1 Climax before. As I just mentioned, he went out with the with the zero points in his first one in 1991. And he had never won a G1 Climax. And in contrast to that, he was facing Masahiro Chono, who at that point already was Mr. G1 or Mr. August. He had won three tournaments by that point. Yes. And he was also in two semifinals. So he was a big part of the G1 Climax history. And now this guy, Ricky Choshu, allegedly... Towards the end of his career, <laughs> he was facing the guy who, the, the guy in New Japan who was representing um, the top of the card, so to speak, so to speak um, especially for this tournament. So that, that was a really uh, good setting that New Japan put out there, and the fans totally ate it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a testament to how great of a booker Ricky Choshu was like and he he sacrificed himself in 91 and then he thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm just gonna start to wind down so i'm gonna have one last hurrah and he was cognizant enough as uh as a booker to like realize okay i can put myself over it's not gonna hurt business in fact it'll probably ignite business a bit more uh because he's still so popular like you're saying there's a huge choshu 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 chant in sumo hall for him and i gotta say he still looks good in 96 yeah. You know, he puts on he's obviously he's 44. He's put on weight, but he doesn't he still looks well. He looks good. He moves well still. Um, and he's he he moved really well in this match. Uh, the match starts very hot right away. Uh, Chono attacks with kicks and punches, uh, you know, in, uh, stomping him. And he goes straight for uh, a scorpion deathlock, which is Ricky Choshu's uh, yeah, like finishing the, maneuver. The minute, of, minute of the match. Yeah, and then Ricky Choshu gets up and he looks pissed. He looks really <laughs> angry at Chono here. Uh, at that point, uh, Choshu no sells a uh, uh, reverse atomic drop and hits Chono with two backdrop suplexes, which Chono no sells uh, until the third one keeps him down for a two count. Uh, at this point, uh, Chono starts working over. Uh, 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 I think Choshu's left leg uh, goes for F- STF. His first one, but this particular you know attempt targets Choshu's right leg. So I was like, "Oh no, dude, you're you're working the wrong leg here." Yes, but the story behind that was that very early on in the tournament, like I think in his first match with Hashimoto, Choshu suffered an injury to his right knee. I don't know if that was a real injury. Or if this was a worked injury, I can't imagine that it was a work, worked injury to get even more drama into the match. Um, definitely, um, they they said that this injury could um, lead to Choshu forfeiting the tournament as well. But maybe they didn't because Hirata already had to forfeit. So that's the story there and that played into Chono working over that leg. Yes, uh, that uh, saying that he does go back to the left leg, and uh, Chon- uh, Choshu fires back with very hard slap that uh, Chono counters with an eye rake, 
that shows like kind of more his heelish character that he's adopted at this point in his career. He wasn't really doing this kind of stuff in the previous tournaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and another, another great spot here right, right after that was when, when, when Chono was going to the top. I think he was trying to, to hit his uh, diving, double sh- uh, his diving shoulder block. But Chono was right, right there and he hit a superplex on Chono, but Chono no sells that and and gets right up. So that was like like the the highlight of the the highlight of the match was actually the first half of it. It's amazing how much no selling was happening in this match <laughs> yeah. with these two guys. Um yeah, so from that point there's lots of no selling in this match. That's when that's in my notes. Uh Chono goes for the STF and he remembers to apply it to uh Choshi's left leg this time. Uh, <laughs> and, and outside, you can see uh, Kensuke Sasaki in his mentor's corner cheering him on. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, the crowd is super hot. Uh, Choshu breaks, uh, gets a rope break, breaks off the, breaks up the STF. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, also outside cheering on Choshu is his rival, oh, yeah. Tatsumi Fujinami. Yeah. And at one point, he's trying to fire up Choshu, and he does this great spot where he just like starts yelling at him and he just slaps him really hard in the <laughs> face to like kind of wake him up to transfer some of his fighting spirit into Choshu at this point. It's a very interesting interesting relationship between the two because while Fujinami always stayed with New Japan Pro Wrestling, Choshu had left. And Choshu came, came back in the early 90s and at that point Fujinami had become a big star. But of course... Ricky Choshu also was a big star. So the the rivalry between those two was totally organic and having a having an organic rivalry always benefits the the way pro wrestling is structured because it feels way more real because in part in in, in parts it is real. And Sasaki of course you mentioned it earlier one of the protégés of Choshu had become a big star at that point himself. And out with uh, Chono were Hiroyoshi Tenza and Hiro Saito, his stablemates. So, like, really, really four big names uh, accompanying Chono and Choshu to the ring, only putting over the importance of, of the final of the G1 Climax. Yeah, and you know, that particular slap spot reminded me of uh, something that happened in uh, WCW. I think it was like... Um, it was a match between Lex Luger and Ric Flair, and Sting <laughs> had been legit injured. So he was he was like coming to this match between Flair and Luger, and he's on his crutches, and he's like trying to motivate Luger to like fight back up, get you know like uh, get back out to fight Flair some more. And he and he slaps him really hard. That I don't know why I'm comparing like Sting to Tatsumi Fujinami and Lex Luger to Ricky Choshu, and I guess. You know, Ric Flair would be Masahiro Chono in this case. But it just reminded me of that. I, there's not that many, like, rivals slapping each other to have them kind of rise up and defeat the, the opponent they're having in that particular match. Uh, that doesn't happen too often in wrestling, Stryga. Yeah, it's, and, uh, that's true. And, uh, and I, was, I, was giving, I was giving a name to the Fujinami slapping Choshu moment. I, I just called it doing the Inoki. Okay, transferring his fighting spirit, as, as, I, as yeah, I said, yeah. And, and that was followed by a huge Choshu chant by the crowd. So they were all fired up for Choshu for the finals, or for the, for the remainder of a match here. And that 
was followed by two consecutive pile drivers by Choshu for just a one count. So here That's again, awesome. yeah. So here again, the no selling. Um, I, I'm usually not a fan of of people no selling pile drivers, but this match here, they they no sold from the very beginning, so that totally fit. And so, Chono uh, back to the SDF. I think in the story of the match, you can just you know you can excuse it to some yeah. extent that this is an important uh, event, especially like you you get the backstory like you're saying of Choshu. He he, this is his last G1. He he wants to win it before he goes out in in his like the twilight of his career, which never happened by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, from those two power drivers, uh, Chono goes for another STF, and again rope break. You know, Choshu just won't go, go down to, like, this, you know, signature submission hold from Chono. Um, and the crowd's, like, again, just eating this up. There's such an amazing atmosphere. And I've been in Sumo Hall for, you know, G1 Climaxes. You know, I, I, you know, I, was, I can't remember exactly the matches. It was, like, 2006, 2013 and 14. I was there. I can't remember off the top of my head. My memory is very bad. But, like, it's always an amazing... Uh, you know, an amazing, you know, like atmosphere in Sumo Hall. And I not as good as like in a future, you know, tournament final, which I'll talk about in a future episode, which was at Saitama, uh, which was in like a baseball arena and it's outdoors kind of with a tent over it there and not not full at all. We'll talk about that, but it's a different atmosphere. But Budokan had a very similar atmosphere and uh, it, it's it's the tournament itself. It just has this prestige like that started from like the early 90s and, and continued on it up to you know what we have here in 2018 which we'll talk about at the end of this series but uh, it's cr pretty incredible uh let's get to let's get to the tail end of this match uh chono hits a couple of yakuza kicks and at this point it's great he's not like spamming them as i would say like when we when we talk about say like kenny omega and the v trigger or kento miyahara and his version mm -hmm. of v trigger the blackout he's not He's, he, he would be known for spamming them much later in his career when he's more limited because of his neck injury from Steve Austin. But he here he's being more judicious with his Yakuza kicks, Striga. Yes, he's moving very cautiously. He's making sure that the crowd gets behind him, that the crowd really gets what he's trying to accomplish, and also that the crowd is able to get behind Choshu because Choshu, Choshu takes this Yakuza kick from... Chono, and then right away goes to the ropes himself and connects with two Ricky Lariats. And that turns the tide in this match, because it, until, up until that point, Ricky Choshu was mostly working from underneath, and Chono was in control of the match. But here, the tide changed, and Choshu went for the Sasori Gatame, and almost gets Chono to the point that he would tap out, but he eventually lets go because Chono almost escaped to the ropes. And then he just hits another lariat. Yeah, and then he locks in... Uh, you use the Japanese name for the move, yes. but yeah, I think most, most, most of our listeners will be known as the sharpshooter or the scorpion deathlock. I will and always call it Sasori Gatame the Sasori Gatame because it's just an awesome name. It is an awesome name. I, I just like to say Scorpion Deathlock because that's what I'm used to s saying it as, or the Sharpshooter. I when I'm talking about Choshu, though, like I use, tend to use like Sting's name for it rather than Bret Hart's name for yeah. the move. Uh, but this particular one, he locks it in. I and I love this part. Like he he just like put cinches it in just a little bit extra tight, 
tighter, you know? And at this point, uh, Chono gives up at the time. Runtime is 13.45, probably one of the shortest match times for a G1 Climax tournament final. Yeah, and, and the camera work was really bad because they missed Chono tapping out as they were completely focused on uh, Choshu. Yeah, so at the, so we're at the end of the match now. So, Striga, i got to ask you, what's your overall impression of this particular match? I don't know. I'd say it was a little bit better than the rating that Dave Meltzer gave. Um, it was a good match, I thought. Especially, they, they had laid out the idea that they were no-selling in this match very early, early on. And they... They had a lot of fighting spirit, had a lot, of, a lot of fire in the match, so that's the part of the, that I really liked. But the part of Chono working over Choshu's leg, that, that wasn't really my thing here because it didn't really fit the match, to be honest, because they really started out very aggressively and then went back to just working the leg. So um, that dragged it down a little if I if I get a explosive start here, I expect the match to 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 build from there and not to, not to go back to where they work each other's lag. So I'd say it was a good one. Yeah, I I, I liked it. I don't think it's as good as like previous um, you know previous tournament finals that I've already covered. But to me, it it's it was it was really fun. I really enjoyed Choshu's like uh, participation in the match. I liked his fire. I liked that he had this extra determination, it seemed, in this match. Um, and like and like we were talking about before, this is these, his one and only G1 uh, tournament final mm-hmm. win. So it, it's kind of significant for that. Um, and, he, of course, the G1 uh, Climax winner gets a, a shot at the IWGP champion. And Choshi would be one of the few people who would, like, uh, cash in this shot at this point in the tournament history, at the January 4th uh, Tokyo Dome show uh, in a match against uh, Shinya Hashimoto, which Hashimoto won to retain the title. Yeah, I was just looking up the time frame here because I was thinking that before the contract or the, the briefcase was introduced with Okada, they always used the destruction show in, in uh, September for the match of G1, G1 champion against IWGP champion. But here this time, Joshu cashed in January, 1st, uh, January 4th, 1997, but lost the match. Lost the match. This is, I mean, this is during like Hashimoto's yeah. monster run with the title, which I think he eventually would lose to Fujinami <laughs> in a big shocker, I think, at that time. Like the IWGP title, like, like, you know, like the way it was booked was a very interesting you know, kind of developments from like Kashimoto to Fujinami to who was who followed Fujinami? Was it Scott Norton? I believe there must be 1999 around that time that uh, Scott Norton was the champion. Um, so we had. Before Hashimoto was Takada, then oh Sasaki was in between. Hashimoto lost lost the belt to Sasaki, and Sasaki lost it to Fujinami. Ah, that's right. This is when like Kensuke's doing his like he went from like his biker shorts to like black trunks and mm-hmm. black boots. So, so he's doing his kind of like Inoki gimmick or Nakanishi look <laughs> at this point. Yes, okay. I, now I remember 
the 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 timeline of that title okay so um yeah i really like like the match and uh before we finish the show striga i want to do a little pop culture and wrestling trivia <laughs> with you of the year 1996 okay uh i do this for every episode uh so i want to ask you uh, to guess uh, what is the number one song on the Billboard Top 200 oh. charts in, in 1996, in, in August of 1996. I have absolutely no idea. I... Okay, so it's the Macarena. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, by the, the Bayside Boys Mix by Los Del Rio. Oh, I remember uh, I was in third grade back then in 1996, and it was a banger. Yeah. It's a banger, yeah. It's a very popular song and dance. Uh, what was the number one album? In August of 1996 on the Billboard charts. Number one album. Something from the Spice Girls? No, it's a hip-hop record. Oh, it's a hip-hop record. I am. It's uh, by Nas. It's called It Was Written. Oh, I, uh, I had no idea that Nas was already doing music in 96. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was very surprised by this, actually, myself. Yeah. Um, number one movie at the box office in America. <laughs> what are you doing with me? I have no idea. I, I, it's, I deal with everyone, Shrek. I'm not. I'm not picking on you. I promise. Ninety-six movies in ninety-six. Give me a hint. Uh it stars Matthew McConaughey and Samuel L. Jackson. Matthew McConaughey. It's just like his first big role in Hollywood hmm. that made him a star. No idea. Uh, it's a time to kill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now we're gonna get to trivia that you will know. I'm sure. <laughs> by the this way, the by the way, I've, I've I've recently watched uh, Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey, and uh, it's a very uh, interesting movie. I don't know that one. Yeah, it's. it's I'm I, very. I, I think I think it's new. It's about him being a, a drugged up writer, and he has to finish his his book before he gets. Uh, he gets any money, and uh, he's al- always high and always drinking. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, something else. Okay, I- I'm pretty isolated when it comes to like Hollywood movies. Yeah, me too. That's why I had no idea here, 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 who- <laughs> what was the top ten. Okay, uh, so let's move on to wrestling trivia. Oh. Uh, you'll know the answer to this because we just talked about this. At this point in time, who is the IWGP Heavyweight Champion? Yeah, okay, that was uh, Shinya Hashimoto. Who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions? Um, Shono and Tenzan? Yes, correct. Let's move over to All Japan. No, who is the Triple Crown Champion? 96 Triple Crown Champion. I say Misawa. Ah, not Misawa. Give you one more guess. Kobashi. Kobashi is the triple triple crown champion at this point. Who is? Let's move over to North America. Who is the WWF champion? In '96, that's August '96. Um, who was WWF champion in '96? Was it Shawn Michaels? Correct. Huh. Shawn Michaels, uh, WCW World Champion. In the summer of 96, WCW World Champion, uh, was it the Giant? It was the Giant, correct. Yeah. And for the last question, the last piece of wrestling trivia, I, I went obscure here to Striga. Who were the USWA Tag Team Champions? <laughs> the Rock and Roll Express. 
Not the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> uh, it's a tag team of that era, though. Of, like, the same thing, like, the, the Rock and Roll Express. The Midnight Express? Lines. Not the Midnight Express. <laughs> I have no idea. It would be the Moondogs. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I think not the, like, the ones that we would have seen in the WWF in, like, the 80s yeah. or earlier in the territories. It's uh, Moondog Spot and Moondog Rover. I'm pretty sure Spot might be the same guy. I think Rover is a completely new guy that they put in the gimmick. My knowledge of USWA is very limited. Yeah. Maybe when I have Dylan on the show in the future. Yeah, he knows. He, he has his, he'll, he'll know, he'll he has know, his he'll, Memphis he'll down, of course. Yeah, yeah, he's got his Memphis and Southern Wrestling down pretty pretty pat. So we're at the end of the show. Striga, before we go, uh, please plug anything you would like to let the listeners know about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact time when this will be out, but usually every two weeks, sometimes each week we drop a new Eastern Lariat episode over at the MLW Radio. So we all have individual feeds. You can go to your podcatcher and just search for the Eastern Lariat. You'll find it. You can also go through mlwradio.com to find you find the um, find the MLW Radio feeds. Uh, if you don't. You can just check my Twitter. It's it's at Striga S T R I G A. I usually post a lot about Japanese pro wrestling and other trivia from my life. And uh, of course, besides Cage Match, I'm also a part of the German-based website Purolove.com, where we post results from Japan, mostly in German, sometimes with English notes. So that's what I have to plug. One thing before we do finally go is uh, your Twitter handle, at Striga, yeah. is it all caps? It's all caps. Not like Suwama, which is actually not all caps. <laughs> <It's>, yes. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> you, were, you were like on me about like, why do we, do, <laughs> why do we capitalize like Suwama? And I'm like, yeah, I always thought, seriously, I never thought about this. Yeah. I always assumed that it was all caps. Yeah, I, with Swama. I, I did the same with the uh, wrestler Kness in Dragon Gate very early on, because I was confused. It was written in uh, Romanji letters, but but like Gamma, not in capital letters. So I was confused. I was thinking there was a mistake because I, oh, I always figured if there is Romanji used, it has had to be capital letters. I'm the same way. Serious, seriously, I've yeah. been watching Japanese wrestling for over 20 years, <laughs> and I always assume Romanji. Capital letters. Yeah. Kenta, you know, is a perfect example. Capital yeah. letters, you know. But it's not always the case. Suwama being a, an example of, like, it's not always capitalized. But exactly. I, I kind of miss his first name, but, like, I'm so used to, like, just him using his last name. It, yeah, well, it's he, okay. I, I, he only used his first name for, like, the first two to three years of his career, right? Yeah, when he's just, like, getting beat all the time. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I know. No. So maybe in the future we'll talk about Suwama. All Japan, maybe on a future post Perez, or maybe on future episode of the Eastern Lariat. I, I was a guest on your year end show. I uh, had an awesome time. You can find that over at the archives at MLW uh, Radio Network. And yeah, so Sriya, thank you so much for joining me. I had an absolute blast talking with you about Japanese wrestling, about the 1996 G1 Climax Finals, and and I hope we get to talk again about Japanese wrestling in the future on air. Yeah, thanks for having me again. So yeah, let, let, let's do this. Uh, we'll we'll f 
surely find some projects to work on because Dylan and I have been thinking about um, adding a little bit more stuff, but it's not it's not finalized yet. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk to you when uh, we get that done. Oh, that sounds exciting. So thank you to all the listeners for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and I'll see everyone on the next episode. Bye. Bye.